does Radio Row like NBC Sports Radio. Exclusive broadcast continues with more live coverage from Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Can't beat that. Now, here's Florio. As we begin our fourth day here in Miami at Radio Row in anticipation of Super Bowl 54, a fairly empty Radio Row, but enough people around, enough people here, enough voices echoing through the valley to remind me of that old joke about the proctologist, something about being surrounded by something, holes all the time, can't recall, something like that. You have to look it up on Google. There's certain words I can't say. That's how I feel right now. Won't feel that way the rest of the day, though, because we've got plenty of great guests who do not fall into that characterization that would make one feel like a proctologist. Coming up this morning, Sean Payton, coach of the New Orleans Saints, Aaron Donald, two-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Derrick Henry, the unstoppable Derrick Henry. I am going to have Derrick Henry apply a stiff arm to Christopher David Sims. Please don't tell Sims that he is going to have that happen to him. He is not aware of it yet, but I will arrange it. We have plenty of real estate up here. We're going to give Derrick Henry a football, and we're going to point in a direction, and we're going to put Chris Sims in the way, and Derrick Henry is going to shove Chris Sims' face into the ground if it goes the way that I've planned. We also have work done, former NFL running back. That's just during the simulcast. If you stick with us on NBCSN, there will be even more guests throughout the course of this Thursday, the 30th day of January 2020, including Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Emmett Smith, Chris Long, Phil Sims. We got a little father-son time here. Hey, in a league that is characterized by blatant and rampant nepotism, why not have Phil Sims and Chris Sims together for a full segment? Christian McCaffrey coming up during the simulcast. Jarvis Landry from the Cleveland Browns and Juju Smith-Schuster will be joining us as well as we embark on another four-hour stretch on NBCSN, but it's three hours on NBC Sports Radio as we are three days away from Super Bowl 54, 49ers and Chiefs, if you haven't heard. Last night, Sims and I had a live event at the Playwright Irish Pub here in South Beach. We made our picks, and I really didn't know who I was going to pick. And I was influenced, frankly, by a table full of Chiefs fans that it's kind of like the lion tamer mentality. Like, I knew there was a chance they were going to turn against me. So sometimes you just got to give them that chunk of meat so they don't come after you. And I knew Sims was going to take the 49ers. I made him pick first to confirm my suspicion. And I just got caught up in the moment. And I decided, yes, I'm unveiling my pick now. For anyone who is listening at 6.04 a.m. Eastern on a Thursday morning, as all of these sounds ricochet around Radio Row from all the other radio shows who are trying to outdo each other by being as loud as they possibly can be, Chiefs 30. 49ers, 27. That's my pick. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I think the 49ers are the better team. The problem is there is no better player right now in the world than Patrick Mahomes, and that counts for a lot because I don't think they're going to be able to track him down on a consistent basis. I don't think they're going to be able to disrupt him. I don't think they're going to be able to cover those receivers long enough to allow Nick Bosa, D. Ford, and company to get to Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes can extend. Look at what Aaron Rodgers could do if they would have just gotten him off of that point, got him out of the pocket. That was my take from two weeks ago. Don't let Aaron Rodgers be a sitting duck because once he settles in, it's done. Once you stop moving, it's over. From a Holmes, keep moving, as he always does. He never stands still. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Eventually, someone 
wide open. And that's how I think it's going to play out. I think that the Chiefs' defense will be able to slow down the 49ers' running game enough to force Jimmy Garoppolo to do something, and I don't know what he's going to do, but I don't think it's going to be enough to counter what the greatest player in the world will be able to do when Patrick Mahomes gets the ball in his hands. And I fear there's a chance it could be a Kansas City Chiefs blowout. If they get up 10, 14 points, I don't think the 49ers can close that gap. That's when they start pressing. We were talking to Dan Marino about this yesterday because it was Super Bowl 19, Dolphins 49ers. We thought it was going to be the greatest Super Bowl ever. Closely matched teams, the two best teams in football, the young quarterback who had taken the NFL by storm. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. I remember that day vividly. It was 25 below zero in my hometown, 60 miles from Pittsburgh, where Dan Marino grew up. They're playing the game out at Stanford Stadium in Palo Alto. Closest thing to a home team ever because the 49ers were from just up the road. And it was a blowout. It falls apart. A bad break here, a bad break there. And the next thing you know, it's a blowout. 38-16, to 16, final score of Super Bowl 19. So I hope that doesn't happen. I want a close, exciting game. I want 30 to 27. I want some heroics late in the game. I want something that we will remember forever. But whether it's this year or next year or the year after that, Patrick Mahomes is going to get his ring. And I think he is good enough. And I think he is brash enough. And I think he is flat out talented enough that now is the time for him, for Andy Reid. The 49ers are still going to be in it as well. They're going to be back. Maybe there'll be a rematch next year. Who knows? But for now, Chiefs 30, 49ers 27. And there's a team out there that's watching all of this. And they think that they're better than both of the teams that are here. And that's the Baltimore Ravens. We caught up with Mark Ingram. Big trust. Woo woo. Yesterday. Here is the best of our conversation with the Ravens running back who has been a firm believer in the eventual MVP of the league, Lamar Jackson. Now I'd just like to introduce y'all to the man, the myth, the legend, the MVP frontrunner. If anybody else got to say something different about that, then come see me. I'm right here in Beemore outside the bank. If you got an issue with that, come see me. I'm about that. Big trust. Woo woo. Lamar Jackson in the flesh. Yes, sir. Big trust. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. One of the great moments of the 2019 season, or any season, whoa, whoa. it was magical. Big, it was what great. Is, what is, big, what is big. that, though? What is the signal? It's, just the, it's just the universal trust signal. That's the man. universal trust signal? universal trust signal. We just kind of came up with it. You did? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, when did yeah, it start? Yeah. Man, Lamar, man, he just been saying trust, like, you know, it's like kind of I'm with you, you know what I mean? And uh, I just put the kind of the big on it because we do everything big. So he'd be like, trust, trust. I'd be like, big trust. You know what I mean? And, um... I said it in an interview, messing around. Me, Lamar, Matt Judon, we was all right there messing around. And um, it went viral, so it's crazy. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Mark Ingram with us here, Ravens running back. And it was a strange year for you. All those seasons with the Saints, you jump into a new team, the great unknown. You don't know what it's going to be. You end up on one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah, man. Um, like you said, um, in free agency, you know, believing the Ravens wanted me. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be there. And, um you know, it ended up being a perfect match. Uh, they accepted me. They allowed me to be myself. The organization's first class from top to bottom. The guys in the locker room accepted me and embraced me with open arms. And um, I think we were just able to thrive together as a unit. Had a great group of guys, a great organization who was on one court. And um, we're looking to, you know, pick up right where we left off next year. Like, I mean, you guys took the, the league by storm. But, like, tell me, best way to describe playing with Lamar Jackson. Man, it's just a, he's just a special guy, man. Just uh Obviously, the athletic ability, able to throw the ball, able to run the ball, the leadership. But uh, I think just the person he is, it just makes people gravitate towards him. Uh, the person he is, the, the type of person he is, it makes you want to 
be the be at your best because you don't want to let him down. You want to make you want to be at your best so you can make his job as easy as possible. And I think um, everybody in our whole entire organization rallied behind him, support him, and want to be the best we can so we can help him be successful and ultimately win a championship. And the season was so great, the regular season. But and, and you know, look. The thing about the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. When you look back on that, you rewind that, and I'm sure you've been thinking about, like, what, what, what could have gone differently? What will go differently the next time? How do you carry from what happened against Tennessee so next time you guys punch through I mean, I and think, you're here? Yeah, I think you have to know that there's always in the game three to four to five plays that essentially, you know, determine the game. And you never know when those plays are going to be. So you have to be physically, execu- physically, mentally, emotionally, you have to be on point. You have to be executing every single play because you never know when those plays are going to arise. You know, we had a couple uh, turnover here, uh, didn't get a couple fourth downs there that we didn't capitalize that Tennessee capitalized on. And, and you know, that kind of makes the game go upside down. Now you're playing a game that you're, you know, behind, doing some things you don't want to do. Then essentially you run out of time. So um, you just have to have that focus, um, that toughness, that ability to execute in high-pressure situations. So you don't have the mistakes, but you're capitalizing on other teams' mistakes. There was, like, all that talk about whether you should play Week 17 and all that. And I, I don't hate, like, like to be this guy, but, like, do you think that affected you? Are, you? But, but I'm I being that guy. I'm genuinely I hate to bother you, but I'm, you know. I've never <laughs> been a, I've never, you know, I, I just never been in that situation. Yeah. So I, I am, like, do, do you think that affected you guys? No, I don't think it affected us. Right. Um, I think, you know, you could point out a couple plays. Like I said, we had, yeah. we're driving the ball. Our defense gets a three and out. We're right. driving the ball. If Mark Andrews doesn't have a high ankle sprain, maybe he, he jumps can jump a little up bit and higher. Right. And right. they don't get the interception that goes, and then they score a touchdown. Right. And, you know, maybe if we get our fourth down, they don't take our defense up top the next play and score 14-0. We fight back to 14-6. We're driving the ball. Yeah. And we Go don't get fourth down again. One. Right. And then three plays later, Derek breaks the big run. Now you're down 21-6 to that quick yeah. with, with a couple mistakes. Right. You know what I mean? So right. I think it's just that important to be on point and not have those mistakes because essentially they hurt you, especially if you make them and the other team capitalizes on them like Tennessee did in that game. Yeah. Is it, is it tough being here when you, like, look up and see 49ers and Chiefs and you think we're better than both these teams? Man, yeah, it does hurt. And we do feel like we're the best team in the NFL. But in our league, you have one-game elimination. So if you're not at your best – when you have one game elimination, you get sent home. And it's simple as that. So we're sitting here. We're going to watch the Super Bowl. We're going to watch somebody hold up this Lombardi trophy. And that's going to hurt. That's going to sting. But we got to use that as fuel and motivation to get back in the lab, stay grinding, and be better next year. Give us the, the – you played both of them. Give us the scouting report on the team. Like what jumps out to you about the Chiefs and the Niners? Listen, the Chiefs, you have a high-powered offense, an elite quarterback who – creates things when there's nothing there. You have these speedy receivers that can run routes, catch the ball, be explosive. You have good backs, Damian Williams, Sean McCoy. So you have a high-powered offense against their defense, who front four is tremendous. They eat. The linebackers, the, the secondary, they all play well as a unit. Um, they're physical. They get after it. Then you have the 49ers offense, smash mouth, hard nose, run it at you, play action you with Kittle, play action you Give Debo Samuel all kinds of sweeps. They right. got Emmanuel Sanders, so they have elite weapons passing the ball, although they've been running it. They only yeah. threw it eight times yeah. last week. And then you have the Chiefs defense, which they've been playing a lot better as of lately. They have. And, um, you know, so I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a great game. But um, 
you know, I think Pat Mahomes is going to kind of do his thing. You think he's going to overcome points. it? Yeah, I, I don't know. He's just been kind of doing it. I know, he's I just know. been kind of doing it somehow. Yeah. So, but like I said, the 49ers have a strong defense, so I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen. Is that the best defense you played this year, you think, the 49ers? It was a weird game because you were in a, Wet, the run, yeah, the rain. Kinda, yeah, yeah. kind of rain, right. but it was a physical, tough game. It was. And, and you could feel it like this definitely could be a rematch in the, in the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Right. And yeah, we felt that. Yeah. But um, so I, I – Hey, the Niners tough, man. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I think it's going to be a real good game. That was Mark Ingram. Very pragmatic about what it takes to get to a Super Bowl. Single elimination tournament. You cannot stub your toe along the way or you don't get a chance to face the best team from the other conference. And you can sit back and watch two teams play against each other that you think you could beat if it came down to it. Ravens will be firmly in the mix when the 2020 postseason rolls around, can they get to the Super Bowl for the first time in what would be nine years because they won it all back to cap the 2012 season with a victory over the San Francisco 49ers. Quick break. When we return, we spoke yesterday with a young quarterback who has taken Jacksonville by storm. Why he thinks he resonates so well in Duval County, he will answer that question in his own unique words. Gardner Minshew II when PFT Live continues right after this. ABC Sports Radio is back. We're live radio row coverage from Super Bowl 54 in Miami. So let's get going. This is Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio. 20 minutes after the hour on this Thursday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Plenty of live guests to come throughout the course of the day, but the radio hour gives us a nice way to catch up on some of the audio you may have missed yesterday once we stayed live on NBCSN during the hours of 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern. One of the first guys to join us when we went TV only, a guy who not many football fans had really known about going into the 2019 season, especially NFL fans. College fans knew who he was. We knew who he was, and we all soon found out what he can do. Gardner Minshew II, quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, joined Chris Sims and me yesterday. Here's the best of what we discussed with the soon-to-be second-year quarterback in Jacksonville. Gardner, i got to tell you the story. Week one, we gather in the NBC viewing room for the games, season starting, and uh, somebody called out, hey, who's the Jaguars' backup quarterback? Silence. And so he said, Gardner Minshew. It's like, oh, yeah, Gardner Minshew, Washington State. He's on their roster. And then within 20 minutes later, you're, you're in the game. game. Yeah, you're right. in the game. Right. Hey, Gardner Didn't Minshew. Take long. Yeah, if things happen fast in the NFL. Yeah, no doubt. So, I like, honestly, I just moved into my apartment with two roommates uh, that Thursday uh, before that game. Like, I didn't know if I was making the team even. Like, And then, you know, 12 plays into the year, I'm playing. Uh, it's crazy, crazy how God works, but man, I was, you know, extremely excited for that. Starting quarterback in the NFL got roommates. It doesn't no sound doubt. right. It no doesn't doubt. sound right. I mean, what was the, what, the year? You took the league by storm for a period of time, and rightly so, man. You were fun to watch. I mean, you bring some charisma and everything to the Jacksonville Jaguars. What, like, what was some of the weirdest moments for the year? Because it seems like mm. a lot of people were coming to get interviews and things like that. 
Yeah, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things is I kind of got like a small taste of that at Washington State. Like, right. you know, it was that that kind of crazy just on a smaller scale. Yeah. So I think I was prepared pretty well for it. And, um, you know, I think Jacksonville is definitely my type of people, you know. so They are. It is a, it's a match made in heaven. Yeah, it definitely is. I'm, I'm digging the look again today. I mean, you're always styling. You know, I do. I do what I can. Where did you get this from? Where did you come up with your style? I mean, where, where, where did it come from? Well, I got to tell you, everything I wear. Yeah. Is like stuff I've gotten for free somehow. Like I've I've bought clothes <laughs> since like high school. I'm not embarrassed to say that. You are but, a little. Your face just turned red a little. Yeah. So I mean, oops. Sorry. That's the way to do yeah. it though, man. Right. Free clothes is the way to go. Dude, you don't have to no think doubt, about it. You just man. put it in the closet. You pull it out. You put it on. And then by the time it wears out, you get more free stuff. Right. It's 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 easy. Easy system. What ha- what have you learned throughout the course of your rookie season that you wish you'd known the moment you walked out onto the field in that game against the Chiefs Week One? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing just on the field was, like, the speed, like, not necessarily in the back end, but up front. Like, guys get on you quick. I'm they with strip you. that ball. Like, they can touch you from, like, over here. You know, so just that ball security, you know, kind of understanding that and getting that awareness. So I think by the end of the year, did a better job. But uh, just kind of understanding that. The hardest thing to get used to, because you can play games in the Pac-12 where you might not play one NFL defense alignment, yeah. and all of a sudden you get in an NFL game, and you're like, whoa, these are all big and fast. Yeah. I, I had the same adjustment. I think it was the hardest thing. Absolutely. I want to like, you know, how, you know, a lot of people look at guys like you that come from the, you know, the Red Raider, Texas Tech type offense, and they think you're not prepared for the NFL sometimes, because that's not life in the NFL. Like, tell us, like, how did Mike Leach prepare you for the NFL? Yeah, so I think... It, you know, every offense in college prepares you in different ways for the NFL. Yeah. I think in the air raid, you, the playbook is much smaller. Right. But you have to be able to access everything at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. All the checks are on you. Right. You're always, like, finding fronts, looking in the back end. Right. Trying to find advantages. So it puts you in a different mindset. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of guys are going up to the line of scrimmage, sit up. Look at the coach. Coach, yeah. what do I do? Should I do I run the play? Right. Yes. Okay, I'll run the play. Yeah, you know right. And it's not like that. So I think every offense kind of prepares you differently. Yeah. Why do you think it is the folks in Jacksonville have taken to you the way they have? Yeah, um, I think I got, like, just the right amount of, like, white trashiness to me, um, you know. So, I think, I, you know, I think I found my people. That's why they liked me in Tampa, too. Yeah, no I doubt. That you know, too. Yeah. So, right. it, honestly, like, I love Jacksonville. Uh, love the people there. It's been a blast living there, um, you know, and I think it's only going to get better, you know. Well, are, your, are your jorts uh, have you got those for about. free or are those homemade? <laughs> no, those were Goodwill homemade. So that's a, I lie. That's that's the last close up. That's a, yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah, what's the what's the key to the perfect jort to you? I mean, what are you looking for? Because I'm not a jort so guy. They got to be they got to be a light wash. They have to you know you have to cut the inseam right. It can't be too long because that kind of looks weird. And then the the key though is the cut, and then you have to get it frayed. You have to have the right amount of fray. Right. Because you're a square if you're just walking around with fresh cut jorts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the pocket has to hang below the the, the no, bottom line if, right? if your you pocket go. that's it's a little suspect if, oh, okay. uh, if your All pocket's right. out uh, <laughs> we had some uh, photos there of uh, Gardner with his with I, his you, I mean you really look like you're like you know the lead singer for Creedence Clearwater or like yes, Led Zeppelin I look like freaking Kenny Loggins right now <laughs> or something like that <laughs> you really Ridiculous. could have you ever swam in that Jacksonville pool up there have you ever gotten in there in no the I stadium? need to um it looks like a blast you know there's been times like on hot games I look up man be pretty good to be up there right now. Yeah. But, um, you know, one day, one, one day, day maybe shot will let me. For more from Gardner Minshew the second, check out profootballtalk.com. We've got the full video posted there, our YouTube channel as well. And interesting guy, great guy. 
and has the right attitude about what it takes to be a starter in the NFL, about the competition that will be looming between him and Nick Foles. And he really is with the right guy. Nick Foles, if he loses the competition to Gardner Minshew, is going to do everything he can to support Minshew and be ready to go in the event that Minshew gets injured. We saw what Nick Foles could do in Philadelphia. He only became the Super Bowl 52 MVP. And Foles, unfortunately for him, had that broken collarbone week one that opened the door for Minshew. And then when Foles got healthy, it just didn't work. And it was a long year in Jacksonville. But we continue to believe, and I know Sims and I have talked about this, the possibility that the Jaguars can get it together. The Jaguars can do something. The Jaguars can be a factor. It wasn't all that long ago in the grand scheme of football things that the Jaguars were on the brink of a Super Bowl berth, up 10 points in the fourth quarter against the New England Patriots and almost up 17, but for a blown call when there was a fumble that was recovered in return for a touchdown by Miles Jack that the officials jacked up. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, another team that is trying to chip away at this mountain that is a Super Bowl berth, the Vikings. Their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, joined us yesterday. We'll let you hear what he had to say. when P- Football fever continues right now on NBC Sports Radio. You're reporting live from Radio Row at Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, back to your host, Mike Florio. If Kirk Cousins wins Super Bowl MVP, I will get a Kirk Cousins tattoo on my arm. Guaranteed. I can hear the production room yelling through the walls right now. Cousins feeling Jasper. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear God. Dear God. Dear God. If you've ever listened to me ever in your life, please let the Vikings win the Super Bowl. Wait, let's just rag on Florio or this whole segment. He's been looking forward to this from the moment that they said he'll be joining us. He will not let me hear the end. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to get him all fired up. He's going to beat you up before he leaves. Kirk, welcome back. How are you? Thank you. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Thank you for being such a stand-up citizen (laughs) and guy for coming here. And dealing with this That's guy. That's all good. And it was an awesome move by you to throw the crack cancer thing onto him this, this last summer. Yeah, I summer. just wanted to see. Yeah. Yeah, and it he worked. And I took it. like 20 eggs. I took, I, they destroyed me. Did you see so ever you see the video? Of, you did? It was outstanding. Yeah. Good. Oh, there it is. I mean, it is disgusting. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> But then oh. he just kept going. Then he got to do it, too. And, and it was just like one or two. And I think you were sick for a week. I afterwards. was sick for a week. Oh and then my, my dogs licked it up off the ground. And they, like, started throwing up later that yeah. day, too. It ended uh, up a being a disaster. I love it. But, but Kirk, <laughs> it is great to talk to you. Look, we, we, we're candid in our views. Sure. Amen. And when, when you play well, we're the first ones to say so. And there were times where more, far more often than not this year, it was great. I mean, yeah. it, you had a great, great season. And we congratulate you on that. It was a special year. Yeah, I was happy to uh, you know get 10 wins, get in the playoffs, uh, win a playoff game. Uh, there's a lot to be encouraged about. Certainly, when you're not playing this weekend, you're disappointed. Uh, most teams are. Uh, but looking back, you feel like you know there's a lot to be encouraged about now as we look to 2020 and uh, um, you know got, got a lot of good players on that team. Yeah, you definitely do. I mean, I, I, the first thing I got to ask you, you know, because I you know I got to talk sense into them every now and then, but. <laughs> What was the turning point to you this year? Because everybody, I think, looks at it, me especially, like Thielen kind of yeah. calling you out to yeah. a degree, right? Which I still don't like that he did that to you, all right? But either way, is that the turning point? Well, people like to look at that. You know, for me, I really played the same way all the way through. I just felt like things started to turn a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt like we were running the ball well. We had a good football team. It was just a matter of time. We were yeah. two and two 
And um, and then, you know, next, I think we went eight and two over the next 10 games. And that, that certainly made a huge difference in the tenor of the season. But as far as just the way I approached it, the way I played, I never really adjusted or changed anything. I just think that uh, we were able to find some continuity as an offense. And it was another year of a new system. Yeah, and right. Once we kind of hit our stride, we were able to kind of take off and not look back. We talked to Stefan about this yesterday, Kirk. The throw that you made to Adam Thielen, the 43-yarder in overtime, best throw of your life, arguably, close to it, under the circumstances sure. what, with what was riding on it. And then the next play, the snap down at your yeah. hip. Yeah. you got to grab it. you got to get rid of it quickly. I mean, those two plays, the kind of thing that maybe elevates a team, elevates a player, how much of what happened in that game, setting aside the next week, what happens in that game that carries over into 2020? Well, I think when you can win a playoff game, especially on the road, it does something for your confidence, for your team's belief. Um, certainly the next week against San Fran was tough, uh, and we saw that, hey, there's another mountain to climb here that we weren't ready to climb yet. Um, if anything, maybe that loss to San Fran is what galvanizes us going into OTAs and training camp knowing that we got some work to do. Yeah, we can't right. rest on any laurels. You know, we have, we have a place to go that we proved when we weren't ready to go yet. So um, we'll take a lot from both, but there's certainly an encouragement winning a playoff game saying, hey, we, we can do this. I mean, that's exactly what happened to the Bears in 84. We talked about that a yeah. few weeks ago. Giants the Bears shut 85. up by the 49ers. Yeah. The Bears got shut up by the 49ers in the championship game in 84, and they became determined after that. This, yeah. is, this is the mountain that we have to yeah. climb, and they became the 85 Bears the next year. Yeah, and you always look back at other teams. When we were the sixth seed, I was looking, okay, what other six seeds have done this? And you thought of the 2010 Packers, right. you know, and the run they made. And so you're always kind of looking at what's the precedent for this? Who has done it in the past? And you kind of gain encouragement from that. So if we have the 85 Bear defense, we might have a shot. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Yeah. Got, you I've might got, be able to get me a quarterback. <laughs> that happens. I've got real estate reserved on my left arm. We played it before you came Did you up. you hear this? Kirk Cousins, Super Bowl MVP, getting a tattoo. I don't know if you were aware wow. of that. He yeah. was going to get a tattoo. I wow. mean, I, I went full, you know, fledged Kirk Cousins. Was that unique to this past season? Or no, that I'm, kind of I'm willing to extend it. I'm willing to extend it for another it. year. You just could be fun to kind of follow yes. as we go here. Come on, big guy. Let's if do it. As if there weren't enough reasons to get to uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I got the cake here. It's there. Yes, absolutely. If it happens, I will do it. And uh, you lost your mind when I told him about it, but I've uh, I told Kyle Rudolph about it during the season. He got a kick out of it. Oh so. dear God, dear God, dear God! Please let the Vikings win the Super Bowl, please. <laughs> what do you need to do tangibly? I mean, it, yeah. you, you know, get to work and, and check the boxes. Yeah, but, yeah. but give me something. Russell Wilson talked earlier about what the Seahawks need to get to the next level. What, what mm -hmm. do you think the Vikings need to push through to the point where you're playing in this game? Well, it'd be key because there's so much turnover every year to whoever comes in new. You know, we got a new coordinator. We've got thankfully it's someone who's already been within our system so we're not starting over but uh as we draft as new free agents come in as other players have to move on just making sure everybody gets on the same page as quickly as possible and that we build this thing through april may and june so that we're not still figuring it out in september and october like to some degree we may have been last year you know we can't afford to have that and right those two losses early you end up looking back and you say man is that the difference between the sixth seed and the two, uh, two seed, seed or whatever yeah, right. it may be so right. when you go on the road and get beat by San Fran you start to realize the importance of a one or a two seed if you can get it so just getting everybody on the same page and then I'll always look at my game in a loss like San Francisco of what I can do better and certainly I think you know playing off schedule and being able to make some plays when things aren't there is something I'm going to try to work on you know as we go through this offseason yep all right we're going to play a little game Let's do it. Like, What's the game? Well, who said this? We're gonna. I want him to guess which one of us said this. Right. This quote. Let's right. do it. Do you have it? No, I got it. You do. Okay. This good. conflicts with everything I've said most of the year about Kirk Cousins, but I don't think the gap right now between Kirk Cousins and Patrick Mahomes is as broad as people would think it is. Who said that? Me or Sims? I'm gonna guess Sims. 
Yeah, you would think, right? Logic, yeah. and I root yeah. for you, and it, but actually, crazy man here said it. I did hey, say it, and he, I believed he, it. And you I believed believe it no. at the time. Can you believe that? I almost fell off my chair on real TV when he said it. I couldn't believe wow. it. But, you know, here's the thing, and I, and I paid very close attention to the things you said publicly about the criticism and the issues that came up after the Bears game. You did take that. You know, guys say all the time, oh, we don't listen to any of the noise. You took the noise, and you used that, I believe, to, to motivate yourself to a higher level. And I mean, it carried you through the whole year. Is that, is that an accurate assessment? The criticism and all the stuff after that Bears game became like the fuse for you that, that pushed you to what we saw. Yeah, what was interesting was uh, I don't go and read it, and yet it's impossible to avoid yeah, because you're being asked about it at your press deal on Wednesday. Right. and So you understand there's something out there and, and all that. You can piece it together. Um, yeah, I do think in some ways, even going back to you like that game, that any time I've kind of been doubted and attacked, for whatever reason, I've played better. don't really know why. I feel like I'm going about my business the same way, but the results would say that I've, I've played better. And um, who knows? Maybe it just helps me find that extra fire. I don't, I don't really know. We asked Stefan yesterday an uh, important question because the narrative with the Vikings is if the run game's there, the pass game will be there. Sure. But if the run game's not there, sure. the pass game may not be there. How do you change that so you don't need to have Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madison ripping off those big gains to soften up the defense for the pass? Well, you know, sometimes it's truly how your offense and team is built, too. Yeah. You know, if you're going to if you're going to commit to that, then you're going to commit to that. You know, I've played on teams that did not commit to the run and we were very effective throwing the ball through for almost 5000 yards in 2016. But at right. the same time, we weren't a, a running football team. Yeah. So some of it is, you know, what's your identity going to be? And if that's what you're going to lean on it, you know, it needs to be there, too. Right. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll go back this offseason and, and work with Gary and the staff and look at how we can be more effective because there's going to come games where you're just not going to be able to run it. And that was kind of what Adam's comments were after week four was yeah. the ga- the day's going to come where you can't run it. Right. And, and, and what now? Right. And, uh, and I, I think that'll certainly be a challenge. We're going to try to answer, you know, as we go through this off season and next year, your teammates love you. That was one of the coolest moments. I just want to say that <laughs> after you, the new Orleans saints. I mean, when you yeah. said you like that and you're all, I mean, it really, I think it gave us chills. I mean, we laughed about it all week. It was one of the great clips of the <laughs> year. I do want to ask you this. You played both of these teams in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Come on, give me a little scouting report. What jumps out to you about both teams? What was interesting was when we played the Chiefs, Patrick was out and Frank Clark was out. Right. Uh, Chris Jones was the real deal. (laughs) He had a big impact. Right. After we played them, because we felt like their defense statistically going into our game was not that dominant. Yep. We felt like they were a very good defense when we played them, even without Frank Clark. Right. And then statistically the rest of the year, they they were actually elite. So I'm not quite sure what happened, but we felt that elite defense was, was, was more what we got than the one that had been going on the first half of right, the season. Right. Um, but not seeing Mahomes, you wonder how much did that change the field of that game. And yep. then I uh, lost to him uh, late in the game. And then uh, Sam France certainly, you know, kind of beat the brakes off us. So you, especially in the second half. So um, you feel like both teams deserve to get there. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you usually do when you go through the playoffs and beat good teams. Um, that's what's going to make it so fun. But uh, one's going to be ground and pound, it would seem. The other one's going to be, you know, all kinds of plays yeah, through the air, and right. we'll see how it plays out. That D-line in San Fran, like, as yeah. advertised, yeah. was it the best you saw this year? Yeah, I think when you can rotate people in, it reminds me of the Eagles D-line when they won it all. Right. Um, you had five or six recognizable names of pass rushers so that they were rotating them in so that they're always fresh. And you're not asking the same guy to rush the passer with everything he's got over and over and over again. So I think their depth not only uh, uh, is, is great for having great players, but it enables them to be at their best more often yeah. because they're not fatigued. I, I got to ask you, we got to ask him about Shanahan. I mean, Shanahan thought he was going to bring you to the 49ers, right? I mean, we know that. That's what he thought. You know, give us, give us your thought. What makes Kyle so awesome through Kirk Cousins' eyes? Well, it, it's, I, I remember my uh, rookie year, week one, we're at the Saints, and, and 
Uh, we got a rookie quarterback, and I'm backing him up as a rookie quarterback. And we put up, I think it was 40-some points. Right. And we had a new number one receiver in Pierre Garcon, a new number two in Josh Morgan, a rookie running back in Alfred Morris. And they put up 40 points. Right. And I remember calling my dad after the game saying, wow. I mean, what Kyle Shanahan did as a game planner and play caller today was unbelievable. And so I knew early, this guy's pretty special. Yeah. Um, it's not any one thing. You know, I think it's evolved through the years. You see the jet sweep motions more this year than you have in past years. But I just think he takes so much pride in it and grinds on it. Right. It's the most important thing in his life in a lot of ways yeah. that, that he studies it and knows what to call week in and week out and uh, certainly gets that from his dad and, and uh, uh, has done a phenomenal job. And not only in the play calling, but in talent evaluation in terms of who he's drafted and who he brings in free agency, he's, he's on top of it. Yeah. That was Kirk Cousins for the full video of our visit with the Vikings quarterback. Check out profootballtalk.com and or our YouTube channel. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, there's been more and more talk about a 17-game season. Today is a critical day in the NFL-NFLPA labor negotiations. My thoughts on where things stand and my reaction to some things that Richard Sherman had to say yesterday about what I believe is the inevitability of the NFL expanding the regular season from 16 to 17 games. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. With more live Radio Road coverage from Super Bowl 54 in Miami. We are NBC Sports Radio. And this is Pro Football Talk Live. So the NFL Players Association is having a meeting today to take up the current proposal from the league to finalize labor negotiations that have been going on for almost a year. The proposals that have been exchanged are all premised on a 17-game regular season. Now, I heard earlier this week that maybe the 17-game regular season is not going to fly. Well, they've been negotiating based upon 17 games. And yesterday, Richard Sherman, 49ers cornerback and also a member of the NFL Players Association Executive Committee, addressed the question of whether or not 17 games meshes with the league's supposed commitment to player health and safety. Here's Sherman from Wednesday. Here's Sherman from Wednesday. Let me read to you what Sherman said from Wednesday. Here's what Sherman had to say from Wednesday. Players have been more aware of player safety and longevity and life after football. The league kind of pretends that they're interested in player health and safety, pretends that they care about it, makes all these rules, finds all these players, but then still proposes players to play an extra game. And it's not just 17. They're really just saying 17 so they can get to 18. And that's uh, two more opportunities for players to risk their bodies, put their bodies on the line. And that's what's so ridiculous about it. And nobody calls them out. Nobody calls out the hypocrisy. I'm hoping that one day people will be brave enough to call out the hypocrisy of saying, hey, we really care about player safety, but hey, we also want you to play an extra game, put your body on the line, and risk your career. Now, look, people have called out the hypocrisy of wanting to play more football plus preserving and enhancing and protecting player health and safety. That has been mentioned but the problem is when the NFLPA engages the NFL on a 17-game season, when they negotiate based on 17 games, when the union's position isn't it's a non-starter, we're not having any meaningful conversations about a new labor deal that is based on a 17-game season, that's when it becomes challenging, to say the least, for the media 
to take up the cause. If the players aren't fighting it, how are we supposed to fight it? If the players are willing to negotiate based on 17 games, who's to say what's hypocritical? Who's to say what's appropriate? Who's to say that the NFL is wrong when the player's attitude is they want 17, we'll negotiate based on 17? Sherman also said, I don't think it's something that the players are interested in, referring to 17 games. And if that's the point they're negotiating on, I think these negotiations are going to go on a lot longer than anticipated. It's odd to me, and it's always odd when you hear player safety is their biggest concern, but it seems like player safety has a price tag. Player safety up to the point of, hey, 17 games makes us this much money, so we really don't care how safe they are if you're going to pay us this much money to play another game. And so that's the part that's really concerning for us as a union and us as players because they think that players have a price tag on their health. Here's the key from Sherman. I don't think we're in the same ballpark in that regard. When he uses the word ballpark, you know what that means? That means there is a price tag on player health and safety. That means there is a way to get this thing done in a manner that allows the NFL to get to 17. You don't say we're not in the same ballpark. Ballpark means they're talking about what it's worth to play 17 games. And as of right now, in Sherman's assessment, the NFL isn't in the right ballpark. If they get in the right ballpark, then they're going to get this deal done. And with a proposal on the table that is about to be taken up by the union and potentially approved by the board of player representatives, a vote of two-thirds of the player representatives, that's the one player per team, elected by his teammates to speak on their behalf at these events, at these meetings, and for these purposes of casting a ballot, if more than two-thirds of them say, we like this proposal, then the vote goes to the full rank and file. If 50% plus one of the dues-paying members, roughly 1,900 players, say we're fine with it, the deal's done. The mere fact that there's even a proposal to be discussed tells me that somebody in the NFLPA power structure thinks that this deal's good enough. You don't take the proposal to the players unless you think the players should take the proposal. That's not how it works. Whenever you have negotiations between persons who then have to report back to constituencies, you don't just take every proposal back and say, hey, vote on this one. Hey, vote on that one. You wait for one you like. Because at some level, it affects your credibility if you keep bringing back these proposals that the rank and file and or the board of player representatives say we're not interested in. That's the one thing that is not nearly focused on enough in this current dynamic that potentially comes to a head today. There is no way that a proposal would be on the table for discussion by the executive committee and by the board of player representatives if NFLPA leadership wasn't fine with it. This is a proposal that someone high up in the union, presumably Executive Director DeMora Smith, believes is acceptable. And we haven't heard him say that because he's got to preserve a safe harbor here. He's got to be able to say, if this proposal isn't accepted, well, hey, it wasn't my idea. I just wanted to put it out there to see what the guys thought. And now that I know that they don't like it, we'll go back to the table and we'll negotiate some more. And it also could be a mechanism for D. Smith to deliberately lose the vote, deliberately have the Board of Player representatives shoot this down so that he can then say to the league, hey, look, the guys just aren't interested. We've been negotiating based on 17 games, but you know what? The guys aren't interested, at least not in this ballpark. But they clearly are willing at some point, they clearly are willing at some level to embrace the 17th game.
So I don't don't see I, the problem I have here, and I'm I'm trying not to pick a fight with Richard Sherman, or should I say I'm trying not to pick another fight with Richard Sherman, but you can't call out the media for failing to call out the hypocrisy of 17 games and player safety when the union is actively negotiating based on a 17-game season. You need to say, hey, NFL, F you when it comes to 17 games. We're sticking with 16, and that's a deal-breaker for us. And if you want to lock us out over it, then lock us out over it. We're not accepting 17 games. So don't blame us, Richard, for not calling out hypocrisy because there is a certain amount of hypocrisy in your position that if they pay us enough, we'll go ahead and do it. And that's exactly what the union's current position is. More PFT Live coming right after this.